All right. While they're receiving the offering, let's go, let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Let's dive right in. Uh, Acts 4 is where we're going to start this morning. Acts 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Acts 4, verse 30, well, maybe 34, not 32. Acts 4, verse 32. Um, and in the blue Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. You're going to want a Bible this morning, okay? I promise you, uh, we're going to get into one of the craziest uh, texts in Acts, and so you're going to want to pull that out. Um, Acts 4, um, we're going to pick it up at the end. In the blue Bibles, it's on page 1010, 1010 in the blue Bible. We're looking at a craziest story this morning. Um, what I believe is one of the craziest stories in the book of Acts, um, and for sure the scariest, okay? It, it's, it's one of the scariest stories in the book of Acts. It is the scariest story in the book of Acts. It's terrifying, okay? Uh, what's about to happen is just, is just terrifying. Now, here's what happens when, when we read this story. We get so lost, so caught up in what happens, kind of the, the, the terror of it, that we actually miss the point. Um, this past week, I went to see a movie uh, with a good friend of mine who was in town from out of town. And, in, and we got there early enough to, to watch the trailers, like the, like the 45 minutes of trailers that are before movies now. It's just like insanely long. Um, and we're watching these trailers, and a trailer comes on. We, we went to see a comedy, right? Like lighthearted, fun. That's my, that's my language of movie. That's what I want to see. And a trailer comes on for this horror flick called The Nun. Have anybody guys seen The Nun trailer? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Creepy. All right. I have no idea. I have no idea what the movie's about. I have no idea the plot or the premise. All I know is in the trailer, kind of at the end of the trailer, I'm going to ruin it for you, but it's not a big deal. Um, at the end of the trailer, you don't want to see this, I promise. Uh, there's this kind of young, attractive-looking nun, and she goes down into the basement of like this, this uh, haunted uh, convent, all right, which, which by itself is just enough. Um, but she's down there looking for this creepy nun, like this demon-possessed nun, and she's got a lantern, and all of a sudden, like, the camera pans this way, and then pans back, and the, and the creepy nun's standing behind her, right? And so you're like, okay, um, what's going to happen? And she turns around, and she's face-to-face -face with this creepy nun, and she says, hello, and wham, like, out of the corner, another creepy, crazy nun gets her. So there's, like, multiple. You think there's only one, but there's more than one. And my friend, who's, like, 46 years old, throws himself back into a seat and screeches like a little girl. <laughs> it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, just in terror and horror next to me. And I'm just ball up to laughing so uncontrollably hard. It was amazing. Now, here's the thing. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what the plot is of the movie, the premises of the movie, um, what the meaning is of the movie. All I know is what happened in the theater in that moment was amazing, right? It distracted me from everything. It, I, I, everything else was lost on me because of the horror and the terror and the kind of the excitement that I got from watching my friend get scared to death. Um, I, I just lost it all. I, I, I have no, I couldn't tell you. And I think that's what happens when we approach this text, okay? When we approach this text, what happens kind of at the end, right? The creepy nun comes out. Uh, that's not true. There's no creepy nuns. Uh, in the Bible. Uh, but at, it's kind of like, at the end, this, 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 this act happens and wham! And we're kind of so captured by it that we miss what God actually intends us to, to learn from the story. We miss the beauty. We miss, we miss the plot. We miss the meaning because we're so kind of captured by what happens. So I'm just going to give it to you right away. Okay, listen. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they die. God smokes them, just smites them. All right? That's what happens in the story. 
But I want, when we read this text together, I want that to become like meaningless to you, okay? Now we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna, we're gonna pack it, but I don't want that, you, you, that to cause you to get lost on what's actually taking place here. There's, there's something far greater taking place than God smiting somebody. That's kind of cool, it's kind of awesome, it's horrifying, um, but, but don't miss the rest. Don't miss the meaning of this text. And so we're gonna read it together. Um, we're gonna pick it up in Acts 4, verse uh, 32, verse 32. And if you would with me, uh, we believe that this book right here, this, this is the word of God. Every, every letter on every page, every bit of it holds authority over every 100% of our lives, over my life and yours. And so if you would, in reverence to it, would you stand with me as we read? I'm gonna read it for us. Um, if you just stand and I will read as we follow along together. Acts 4, verse 32. Now, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So so just kind of painting the picture, this is actually kind of the beginning of it, right? They, They all love each other and love Christ so much that they're saying nothing's theirs. Right, right. You, you listen. You want a key to my house? Come on in. You want to dr- eat from my fridge? Come on in. Like you want to borrow a tool from my garage? Come on in. Nothing is mine. This is all ours. We have everything in common. We just kind of share everything. That's important. That's kind of laying the groundwork of this story. Verse thirty-three. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace being spiritual gifts. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so, for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. 
This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right. As I said at the beginning, you do not get lost on what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. Don't, don't let that mislead you. This is not a story. This is not, this is not, a, this is not a story of kind of terror and God smiting someone. This is a comparison contrast. What Luke is doing here is he's, he's, comparison, he's comparing and contrasting two different people. It's a, it's a story of two landowners, ultimately, is what it is. Uh, first, we have the character who is Joseph, who is called Barnabas, right? Um, and, then we have, um, and, and then we have Ananias uh, and, and his wife Sapphira. And so Joseph, who's called Barnabas, we know this is the same Barnabas. Barn, they call him Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement, right? He's so encouraging, so life-giving, kind of everywhere he goes. Maybe, hopefully, you have somebody like this in your life or you've known somebody like this in your life um, where, man, you just walk in the room and, and you just feel so encouraged, so spurred on to good deeds and good works right, by them that you just can't help but want to be around them or want to be like them, right? When, when you're with them, they inspire you to just to just cling all the more tightly to Christ. They inspire you to, to be a better mom or a better dad or a better husband or a better wife. They inspire you to just work harder, give more of yourself because, man, they, just, they breathe courage into your life. He's the son of encouragement. They ch- literally change his name because he's so encouraging, like you're Barnabas. And Barnabas goes on, we, we learn later in Acts, the same guy, the same Barnabas, is kind of the one who, who uh, when Saul, Saul's persecuting Christians, right, killing them. Um, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his name is changed to Paul. Barnabas is the one that says, no, 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 he's really, he really has converted to Jesus, right? Um, I promise, this is not a trick. This is not some crazy thing. We need to bring him in. We need to let him in. Barnabas is an advocate of Paul. On Paul's first missionary journey, he takes a companion, Barnabas. Barnabas goes with Paul. Barnabas plays a, 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 a large role um, in the rest of the early church. And this is kind of the first picture that we receive of him here, where he sells a field. He sells a field probably back in Cyprus, right? He says he's a native of Cyprus. He probably, probably, most likely came into town for Pentecost. We preached on that a few weeks ago. Came into town for Pentecost, saw what's happening, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He hears the gospel, gives his life to Christ, becomes the son of encouragement. And so he's hanging out in Jerusalem. He's like, I'm not missing this. This is amazing. What's going down right here is amazing. I want to be a part of it, right? Sells a field probably back in Cyprus, back in his hometown, brings that money. He lays it at the apostles' feet. This is a common thing. This is happening in this day. There's a need amongst the church, a need to uh, further the mission of God. Man, we, let's, let's plant more churches. Let's keep proclaiming the gospel. Let's keep moving this thing forward. But then there's a need amongst the people, right? People need to put food on the table. People are losing their jobs. People are, they're, they're, there's things that are happening in their midst because of this newfound faith. And so they're, they're just kind of spreading this wealth around to any, as any had need, right? And so people are selling things, right? And so it would be kind of the equivalent, a modern-day equivalent of maybe, maybe somebody's selling a stock. This is not an uncommon thing. Somebody's like, man, I have this stock. It's doing really, really well. I'm going to sell a portion of it. I'm going to sell a chunk of it, or maybe I'm sell all of it. And I'm going I'm to give that to the church and say, man, man this, is, this is as any had need. Whatever, whatever the need might be, use this for the glory of God. So this is happening in, in Acts, right? They're selling their possessions. They're selling land that belongs to them, investment properties. Saying here, um, as any had need, you just use that um, for, the, for the good of the saints, for the, for, the, for the furtherment of the mission of Christ, you use that. They're laying it at the apostles' feet. And so we have Joseph, who's kind of our first landowner, called Barnabas. And, and then we have um, Ananias. Ananias also sells a property. 
also sells a property. He sells a property, and he brings the proceeds. He lays them at the apostles' feet, and he says, here's 100% of the proceeds from this property which I sold. But it's not 100%. It's not 100%. It's only a portion of it. We don't know what percent it is. It's probably a high percentage, right? Because you can't really fake that very well, right? It's like, I sold a property, and here's a few bucks. That's all, that's all I got for it. It doesn't work that way. He probably, he's probably, it's probably a lot of money, right? He lays it at the apostles' feet. He says, here's 100%. And what he's expecting is kind of the same thing from Barnabas and these other people, right? There, there's this unbelievable encouragement and just goodness coming in, in, the, in the midst of, the, of, of these gifts that are being brought and laid at the apostles' feet. But instead, Peter stands up. He says, wait a second. whoa. You have not lied to men, but to God. And God just smokes him. Smokes him right there. He just falls down dead. And three hours later, his wife comes in. Paul says, hey, did you sell that field for this much? And she says, yeah. Oh, why, would you, why, would you, why would you lie? God smokes her too. Now the question, if, it, if it's a comparison contrast, you have these two landowners, Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. The question is, the question that you must ask, anytime, any, anytime uh, in the Word of God we find a comparison and contrast, the, the question that you must ask is, what is the difference? What is the difference? Not, not what is the difference between what they did. We just talked about what they did, okay? We get, we get it. We understand it. That's simple. What is the difference between who they are? What is the difference? What makes them do what they did? What is the difference between who Barnabas is and what is the difference between who Ananias and Sapphira are and what makes them that way? Those are the two questions that we're going to wrestle through today. What is truly the difference in their heart? What is the difference as human beings and what has made them that different? And I'm going to argue this morning, I'm going to argue that the, first, the answer to the first question, what is the difference between them, is simply this. Barnabas treasures Christ at all cost. Ananias and Sapphira treasure the idea of being like those who treasure Christ, but they do not actually treasure Christ, right? Barnabas treasures Christ at all cost, at all cost. He says, man, this stuff is meaningless to me. I treasure Christ at all cost. He is my greatest treasure, my greatest delight, my greatest joy, and so therefore he releases 100%. Ananias and Sapphira, they treasure the idea of being like one who treasures Christ at all cost, but they don't actually treasure Christ, now, why do I come to that conclusion? Why do I come to that conclusion? Um, when I lived in Chicago, before we moved to Utah, I lived in Chicago. Lived in Chicago for uh, over, over 10 years. We lived in Chicago. And I remember I, all the time when you live downtown in the city, we live right downtown, and all the time, um, everywhere you go, every single day, um, people are asking you for, for money, right? There's a lot of homelessness, a lot of mental illness in Chicago. It's a very sad situation. And um, after 10, 15 years, you, you kind of begin to pick up on um, people who are genuinely sick and genuinely homeless and genuinely need help and, and those who aren't. In fact, um, when you live in the city, you actually get to know those people. You see the same people every single day. They're, they're in the same space every single day, um, and you kind of know who they are. And I, I remember one time in particular that it caught me off guard so much that I, actually, I remember it. A, a man, fairly well-dressed, with a little girl who was also well-dressed, um, stopped me right downtown in the city, and he says, man, my daughter is sick. I'm trying to get some money to pay for her medical bills. And I didn't have any cash on me, and so the first kind of words, I'm like, oh, sorry, boss, I don't, I don't have any cash. 
Um, but then I stood there for a second. I, I, I remember clear as day. I remember standing there thinking, wait, what? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your daughter is sick, and your plan is to ask me for a few bucks? Like, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And so I'm thinking in my mind, man, if I had a few dollars, honestly, I'm just not going to give that to you. Like, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help your situation. Like, you need something far more than a few bucks out of my pocket, right? But now, now, just for a moment, if you would, think about what if it was your best friend in the whole wide world? You're downtown Salt Lake City. You're walking around with your family. Maybe you're by yourself. And all of a sudden, you bump into your best friend in the entire world, Right? You're like, what are you doing here, right? Maybe they're from a different state. Maybe they're from around town. Maybe they're from here, whatever. You're like, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm applying for a job. I just lost my job. It's in a crazy season. I'm sorry I haven't told you about this, but I just lost my job. My, my daughter is sick. She has cancer, and we can't afford her treatments. And our, our, so I, I lost my job. We don't have insurance. It's just, it's just a mess, man. It's just horrible. And so we're just trying to scrimp and find money anywhere we can in order to cover this. What's your response now? Man, if I, if I ran to my best friend or my best friend called me and said, Josh, my daughter has cancer and we can't afford to pay for it. Man, I'm, I'm going to my savings account and I'm pulling out as much as I possibly can. And if that's not enough, I'm asking my friends and my family to help cover the cost. I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a rampage to raise funds to pay for my best friend's little girl. Why? Because I love my best friend's kids like they're my kids. It's like, it's like if it was my kid, I'd do the same thing. And so I, I'm giving everything I can to help this little girl and to help my best friend. Why? Why, why would I say, of course, and, and, and I would say, and I don't want it back. This is not a loan. This is yours. You keep it. You just, that's, that's yours. I, I don't want it back. Why? why? Why would I do that? When I, but then I ran into a random guy on the street. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't. No. Why? I treasure my best friend at all cost. I treasure his little girl at all cost. That's why. And so it's clear to me, it's clear to me that Barnabas treasures cross at all costs. This field is meaningless in comparison to knowing the full joy and delight that is in Christ. I treasure Christ at all costs. And so therefore, this is, this is simple to me, to sell a field and bring 100%. Of course I would give 100%. Why would I hold anything back? Of course I would. But Ananias doesn't do that. Ananias and Sapphira, they also sell a property. They also bring a large portion of money and they hold back some for themselves. And we're going to learn later, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We're going to learn that. This text teaches us that. But what they do instead is they say, this is 100%. They lie. They lie. They say, this is 100%. This is all of the proceeds from the property which we've sold. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? You want the praise of men. You, you want the people in that room to think that you are like Barnabas. You want people in the room to, to cheer you on and say, look how amazing they are. Look how great they are. Look how encouraged they are. They gave 100%. That's the only reason you would lie about something like that. You want the praise of men. This is an incredibly dangerous thing. An incredibly dangerous thing. Jesus warns us against this idea. Matthew 6, it'll be up here on the screen. Matthew 6. 
Jesus says it this way. He says, beware of practicing your righteous deeds before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteous deeds. He's going to talk about all kinds of righteous deeds. He's going to talk about prayer and fasting, but he's also going to talk about financial. He says, beware of practicing these righteous deeds before men in order to receive praise from them. Right? He says, "There's beware. There's a danger to this. This is a dangerous thing. You have no reward in heaven. And so for those of us, who practice righteousness out of a treasuring of Christ, the Barnabases of this world. There is a reward, an eternal reward for the Barnabases of this world. But for those who fake it, there's, not only is there no reward, but there's a punishment. There, there's a danger to this. Jesus goes on in that same passage, verse 2. says, thus, when you give to the needy, so he's going to talk about financial component first, when you give to the knees, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, what you re- receive, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And it's not a good reward. It's a, it's a bad reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, when, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You. Now, here's what we do with this text in Matthew chapter 6. What, what, I, what I hear people, when people quote this text, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. People, people like to throw that around. And here's what they mean. Nobody should know what I give. Nobody should know. No, that's, that's, that's secret, right? It's, it should be a secretive thing. Nobody, nobody should know. You shouldn't know what I give. They shouldn't know what I give. He shouldn't know. She shouldn't know. Nobody should know what we give to charity, what we give to the church, what we give to those in need. Nobody should know. That is absolutely not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about you, not me. He's talking about you, not the people sitting around you. He's saying, don't seek to give in order to receive the praise of men. Do not go there. You, you do not do that. Don't do that. Don't be that. And so don't, don't read this text and say, this is about other people. No, no, no. it's about me. It's about you. It's about, it's about us as individuals trying to get, earn the praise of men and the praise of God by doing righteous deeds. Do not try to be the best prayer in the room where he's like, man, I need a, I need a thesaurus in order to understand what you're praying. Do not try and do that. Don't do that. Do not try to be that uber fasting person who, who even though you're not actually fasting, when you come over to my house and I offer you a snack, you're like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm fasting, right? It's like, okay, I, I know I'm the pastor and you're trying to impress me. Um, but, but, man, if you're not really fasting, don't say you're fast. There's a danger to this. Don't, don't write big checks and wave them around and say, man, I, I just really want to give this to you, right, as, as, I, as you show everybody. That's what Jesus said. Do not, try, do not practice your righteous deeds before men in order to, re, in order to, uh, in order to receive their praise. This is exactly what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. And, friends, it is deadly, it's deadly. God smokes them. One of my favorite stories all time is the Lord of the Rings. Have you guys read or seen the movies Lord of the Rings? Anybody? A few of you. Right? Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, J.R. Tolkien. It's an amazing story. And kind of, kind of in a nutshell, it's, it's hard to explain in, in, in a short period of time, but in a nutshell, um, J.R. Tolkien was a follower of Jesus. 
And he writes the story with the gospel in mind. There's four Christ characters in this, in this work. There's four Christ characters. And kind of the most obvious one is a guy uh, by the name of Frodo Baggins. And Frodo, Frodo, um, it's super obvious. Fro- Frodo is a hobbit from the Shire. If you've never read it, you've never seen it, you have no idea what that means. That's so fine. Um, it's, he's short and he's got big feet. Okay, um, and he's very sweet. Uh, Fro- Frodo um, is given a task. He's given a task. He must carry um, the, the, the one ring, the one ring, and the ring represents sin. Um, it corrupts everyone who touches it, everyone who lays eyes on it. It corrupts them. It, it's, it's lust, it's envy, it's greed, it's jealousy. That's what the ring represents. And everybody wants the ring. Nobody can hold the ring. Nobody can even look upon the ring without being pulled in and being devoured by it. The ring is sin. And Frodo, Frodo has the ability to carry the weight of the wing, to ring, to bear the weight of the ring. And his job is to carry the ring to Mordor, to Mount Doom. Again, if you've never seen it, you're like, dude, what? Um, watch the movie or read the book. It's even better. Um, t- take the ring to Mount Doom and cast it into the lake of fire. You seen the semblance here? I said Frodo's the easiest. It's easy, right? Um, he has the ability to bear the weight of sin, take it all the way to the lake of fire, to destroy it in the lake of fire. There's another character in the story that I find, find way more fascinating, complete, totally fascinating. It's the, it's the character of Gollum. Gollum is the character that nobody likes. Nobody likes him. He's creepy, okay? Um, Gollum is this kind of twisted, mangled, ugly creature. Um, but he hasn't always been that way. He was, once, he was once a hobbit, just like Frodo, innocent and playful, until he encountered the ring. Until he encountered the ring. And he became into possession of the ring, and he possessed it for a very, very long period of time. And over that season of time, over many, 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 many years, several lifetimes, he possesses the ring. It destroys him. It mangles him and, and creates him into this ugly creature. And he loses the ring. And ultimately, long story short, Frodo is given the ring to take to Mount Doom to destroy the lake of fire, right? Gollum, along the way, finds Frodo. And he gives the appearance. And this is why we don't like him. He gives the appearance. He says, I want to help Mr. Frodo. I want to help the hobbits. I, I, I want to I, I show you the way. I want to be like you. I want to be included in this community of people who are going to destroy the ring. I want to be like you. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to take you to Mordor. I'm going to take you to Mount Doom. I'll, I'll show you the way. I like the hobbitses. But the whole time, whenever he's not with them, you see his other personality come out. And you see what he ultimately wants, what he ultimately craves, more than he craves anything else, is the ring which he calls my precious. This is mine. It's mine. My precious. That's what I want. I want my precious. That's what I want. And he's going to kill Frodo in order to get his precious. And ultimately, the story goes, and he, he dies with the ring in the lake of fire of Mount Doom. In the story, we love Frodo because Frodo is the Christ figure. We don't like Gollum. We don't like Gollum. Because he's you and I. He's you and I. He's those who, who never know Christ. He's those who are consumed by sin. And I want to be, be included in. He's the, he's the Ananias. I want to be included in this community of people who, who are holy and reverent and right and can bear the weight of that ring. I want to be included with them. I want to be included with those who help Frodo. But it's not who he really is. He's this dark creature ruined by sin. 
It's this deadly thing. My precious. Mine. Fake generosity is a deadly thing. And what ultimately happens in this text with Ananias and Sapphira, what ultimately happens is they never learn, they never learn an unbelievably freeing truth. So they live captive lives. They never learn, they never learn this unbelievable freeing truth, the thing that frees us from the weight of greed, the thing that frees us from the weight of lust and jealousy. They never learn it. They never learn it. You know what the truth is? None of it's ours. Not one piece of it's ours. Not one bit of it. Everything, 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 everything in our lives, in our homes, um, in, in our, everything that we find joy and delight in, it all belongs to him. My house, my car, my bank account, every, everything that I find joy in is his. My family, my wife is his, my boys are his. The blood in my lungs, the breath in my lungs, the blood in my veins, it is his. It belongs to him. It is all all his. And so therefore, when we approach the king of kings, we are not givers. We're not givers, right? Colossians 1 tells us that all things are created by him and for him. Romans eleven thirty four 34 asks the question, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? No one. No one has ever given him anything. Everything is his. Everything belongs to him. You belong to him. Everything that is, everything around you is his. And so therefore, we are not givers. We cannot be givers. We can't give him anything. Now, some of you might say, well, Josh, what about my life? Well, I, gave, I gave Christ my life. Please. No, you didn't. I didn't. It was his already. If he wanted something from you, he would just reveal an inkling, a tiny little bit of his glory before you, and you would fall down on your face and say, whatever you want, whatever you've asked for, it is yours, it is not mine. He must just reveal a small little piece of himself to you. And you would see in an instant, I'm not worthy of anything, including my own life. It is all his, and so therefore we cannot be givers. We are only those who hold back. We are only those who keep back for ourselves. We're, that's all we can do. All we can do in this life is keep back for ourselves. We cannot give anything to God. We can only keep back for ourselves. Paul, I mean, Peter, Peter speaks this to Ananias. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge, and he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. He keeps back a portion of it for himself. Barnabas brings 100%. He says, man, this Christ is my treasure. Christ is what I hold, hold, I'll cling to. And so therefore I release 100% of this. Ananias says, says, no, 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 no. I, I want the praise of men, so I'm willing to spend money in order to get it. But, but this, this is mine. This is my precious. I'm going to cling to this. This is mine. And he holds back. So the question is never how much are we going to give to God, but how much are we going to hold back from God? We never ask the question, how much are we going to give to God? We have nothing to give. The question is, how much are we going to hold back? But then the question that we must wrestle with, what we must wrestle with is this. How much are we required to release? 
How much are you required to release? You know what Ananias believed the answer was? 100%. Ananias believed the answer to that question was 100%. But that's not true. That's not true. Look at verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has who? Satan. Filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. You see, Satan wants us to believe that this is all mine and God wants 100%. Satan has placed that lie in Ananias' heart, right? He's the father of all lies. He's been a liar and a murderer since the beginning. And the lie that Ananias has believed is that this is all mine, my precious, this is all mine, and God wants 100% of what is mine. But that's not true. That's a lie. It's a lie. The truth is that it is all God's. It's all God's. And he has entrusted 100% of it to me. this, This changes everything. If you live in this truth, it changes everything. What Satan wants us to believe that this is all mine and God wants 100%, that's not true. It is all God's, and he has entrusted 100% of it to me. That is what is true. Look at verse 4. Peter says it this way to Ananias. While it remained unsold, this property, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Peter says, hold hold up, Ananias. Wait, 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 wait. Before you sold the field or before you sold this property... Was it not in your possession? Did you, did you not own that? And then after you sold it and you got this large sum of money from it, was that not entrusted to you? Was that not yours? Who, who, why are you lying about this then? Who's placed this lie in your heart that in some way or form, God wants 100% of that? That's not it. You, you, you've missed it. You've missed it, Ananias. You don't understand. That's yours. God has entrusted, it's God's, but he's entrusted it to you. He's entrusted it to us to steward, to steward well in this life. I had a friend this week, as we were talking about this text, he said, Josh, I'm just, I'm just having a hard time. Like, I'm taking my family on a vacation this year. And it's an expensive vacation, not cheap. I feel like, man, I feel like God wants this, wants this money from this, and rather than me to spend it on my family. Oh, no, 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 stop. Stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. That's the lie. That's a lie that this is my money that I want to spend on my vacation and God wants that money. That's not, that's not true. God, God has given 100% of that to you to steward well. Steward well. And when we treasure the things in the right order, when we treasure Christ above all else, right? We cling to Christ above all else. All the other loves of our heart begin to fall in line. And what is, what is next after Christ? What do you, the most precious thing that he's given us other than a relationship with him our family. And so let's take this thing way down here, this, these cheap trinkets and, and cash and money, and let's invest them well into these things, into Christ, into our family, into our deepest, closest relationships, into the loss, into the mission of God. Let's, let's love these things in the right order. And let's use what's down here, these things that we don't really care about, about that much, to, in order to invest in these things in the right order. Let's give our, our time our talent, our treasure to, to Christ first. 
but then let's use it to invest in our family. Let's, let's use these, these things that he's given us, this time, this talent, and our, and our resources, our financial resources, in order to invest in our family. Take those kids on vacation, but don't be that mom and dad who on vacation uses your time to work, right? Like on your phone the entire time making calls and, and sending emails. No, 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 no. Invest in what he has given you to treasure most. Spend your time investing in those kids and in your spouse. Spend your money on investing in them. Don't cling to this stuff. Treasure Christ and treasure the things that he has given us to treasure most of all. And so here's the last question. So if, if all of this is, is God's, it's all God's, and he's given it to me, right, and he doesn't want 100% of it, what does he want? Okay? This is all his, not mine. It's, it's not mine, and he doesn't want 100% of it. What does he want? He wants us to treasure him above all of it. That's what he wants. God wants you to treasure him above all of the other stuff and things and people and possessions in your life. He wants to be treasured more than any of it. How do I know this to be true? Because he's treasured you above every other created thing. He's treasured you above every other created thing. He has given his life for you. He's bled out for you. He has stepped out of glory, out of unbelievable beauty and majesty and fame and praise. He, he left that. He left that. He put on flesh, broken, dirty humanity. He put that on in order to march to a cross, to be spit upon, beaten and flogged and nailed to a cross by those who he treasures more than any other created thing. He bled out in order to make us righteous, in order to make us his own, in order to show us how much we are treasured so that we might fear him and treasure him all the more, that we might treasure him above all things. This is why he gave his life, to restore us into a relationship where we are freed. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the lie. In some way, righteousness can be earned. Freedom can be earned. Freedom is not found in, in, in buying, acquiring more and, and more and more. And this is mine. That's not freedom. That's slavery. Freedom is in Christ. Freedom from that life. And this is what Joseph understood, called Barnabas. He treasured Christ. He says, I'm going to use this stuff down here in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to care for the needs of the saints. Ananias said, I treasure myself. I treasure myself more than anything in this world. I treasure myself. And Christ is somewhere down there. So I'm going to make people think that he's somewhere up here so that they might love me more. They might praise me more. Friends, it's a deadly, deadly thing. It does not end well for anyone ever in the history of the world. It will not end well for you. Give your life to Christ. Treasure Christ. Cling to Christ. Know Christ. That is freedom. That is joy. Let me pray for us. Jesus, what you have done for us 
beyond explanation. It's beyond words. There's no, there's no words that can paint the picture of the beauty of the gospel. You've given far more to us than we could ever possibly release from our grasp. So let us not be people who cling to the things of this world. Let's be people who cling to Christ. We give all that we have to Christ. Knowing that 100% is not required of us. Good stewardship is required of us. 100% is not what you long from us. Full treasuring at all cost is what you long from us. So would we treasure you? Pray for the people in this room. Would you give them a heart, a heart for you that treasures you at all cost? I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus.